Hi everyone, um, back again. Uh, again, it's been too long, but I'm here now and that's all that matters. And today I'm going to be doing an episode on medication. Oh my goodness. Now, I think this one's going to be a little controversial, so have your ears peeled, everyone. Um, I think like there is so much out there about medication, like so many different opinions. So I really encourage you to just listen to this with an open mind and most importantly, just judge it for yourself. Um, there'll be things I will say today that some people will be like, no way. And some will be like, oh yeah. And others will be like, I'm never listening to this chick again. And that's fine. I'm totally cool with that. You do you, boo. Um, but anyway, on to medication. So when I first started out in psychology, and again, I'm reading from my book, I was quite skeptical of any psychotropic medications. So when I say psychotropic, is it psychotropic or psychotrophic? <laughs> I have to Google that like right now, mid episode. Psycho psychotropic, psychotropic, if you're feeling like you want a trip to Hawaii. Um, so that means any medications used to treat a mental illness. So... To be fair, though, when I was first starting out, I was quite uneducated on the topic um, because there's only so much they can cover in our postgraduate training. I mean, hats off to them for what they do cover because they've only got us for six months to do a lot of theory. So I'm pretty sure I did like, I have a feeling I was away for it too, but they just did one full day on medications and that was it done and I think it even covered other substances like drugs and alcohol maybe that was another one anyway the point being it wasn't much of our course and I don't remember much of it because one I wasn't there um and I remember doing another bit of training and I just said one and I'm not going to say two so don't wait for it um, I did some other training, like after I'd been a psych for a couple of years and it was so complicated. I didn't really understand any of it. Like it was really sciencey and I've never been a neuroscience major kind of person. Like I was going to be a doctor at one point, but I really don't think I love science enough. So yeah, this presentation I think was it one I think it was one day again and again I came away with it going um what just happened it was way too scientifically complicated so one thing is I have a pretty horrific history of depression and anxiety in my family um on both sides lucky me um and I've always questioned if one day I might need to take something to feel better. Um, so I have a, yeah, 
both sides, mum's side, dad's side, a lot of undiagnosed depression and anxiety. But looking back and talking things through with my parents and other family members, it's like, oh, I see. Yep, that's what that they were experiencing. Um, so, yeah, through much encouragement from my mum, I actually went to see a clean psych and um, my mum had been seeing the same clean psych. I know, scandalous, but that's okay. Um, and that same clean psych had been um, recommending the use of medication as a treatment for my mum's anxiety and depression. Um, so my mum's had that, I think, her whole life, but... I guess I was never aware of it until I was kind of in my twenties, even late twenties. And she was, she was aware of it a lot earlier than that herself. But I think it took her a while to get to where she is with it now in terms of understanding it and all that kind of thing. Um, I remember being quite anxious at the prospect of seeing someone that my mum was seeing as well. Um, and I brought that up with the psychologist, don't you worry. So, um, this psychologist has practiced for several decades in a small regional town and she's very well versed in working with multiple people from the same family. And look, she prefaced that if the issues that the clients were bringing into session, um, if they weren't issues between the family members, then she was comfortable seeing multiple members from the same family. Um, so obviously, yeah, I wasn't going to her for that, for any issues between myself and my mum. Um, had it been that though, yeah, she probably would have recommended I see someone else or if it became that she would have recommended I see someone else. So that's a really important little caveat there. Um, tangent side note, I have seen people from the same families before um, it's actually been really helpful because you know the family history and you've got a much more diverse understanding of like that person because you know someone else in their family. And again, I always preface it with if you're bringing issues between you and your sibling to therapy, you may need to see someone else. And if your primary issue becomes about issues between you and your sibling or mother or father or whoever else I was seeing, then yeah, we need to decide what's best for everyone. So I asked this psych's permission to share her theory around medication um, in, in my book, my journal, jook, my <laughs> jook or my burnal. I just made that up, as you can probably tell. Um, and she politely obliged. I will let you know, though, that... Um, I think I had a pretty scientific explanation when I first did my book and I've slightly modified it. So I'm going to talk now about that theory and um, some of the theory is my own take on it as well. And I really want to preface this with the fact that we still don't actually know how antidepressants work and a lot of other medications. So just remember that as I'm talking, we still do not know how they actually work. These are theories 
every scientific paper out there on the um, mechanisms of medication is a theory. Um, it's very complex, okay? However, this theory has been trialed and tested with hundreds of patients or clients and it's worked. So that's pretty good, um, yeah, pretty good evidence base. Um, so the theory came from a presentation that this psychologist saw done by a psychiatrist and like I was saying, she's trialed it with hundreds of clients and it's been very successful. And when I first started seeing this psychologist, she plotted a graph of normal mood followed by a graph of anxious and depressed mood. And I soon realized I was experiencing the latter. So just to describe that graph in more detail, and it's a little bit hard given this is a complete, uh, completely, um, you know, audio, um, what do I call it? Material? What do you call it in art? Um, media? <laughs> Audio media? I don't know. Anyway, the point being, I can't draw it for you right now. However, I am a very visual person and that's how I would normally describe it. I draw it on a whiteboard, on a bit of paper, in the dirt, you name it. So I want you to picture a graph, okay? And you've got, you know, your X and Y um, axes. And I want you to picture, so just like your typical 90 degree angle X and Y axis. So we're just doing, how do I do Like an L shape. There we go. And then I want you to picture a line um, sort of halfway up the L parallel to the bottom line of the L. And that represents normal mood. Okay. Or normal, no, hang on, sorry. Average, just in the middle, like if, if one's the worst you've ever felt and 10's the best, that line is going to be your five. So you've got the top of the L is the 10 and the bottom of the L in the corner there is your one. And that then there's a line parallel with the bottom L line, if that makes any sense. I really hope it does. Um, that represents just neutral, okay? So for people, for... For those of us that don't have um, a family history of anxiety or depression, um, so we don't have that genetic predisposition, um, our mood is going to mostly be above that middle line. So normal mood goes kind of mostly above that line. So you can picture I'm drawing now a curved line, which is primarily above that neutral line as like a big hump shape and then it dips just very slightly below the neutral line and then and only for a short period of time and then it pops back up again so I want you to imagine there's a big kind of um hill and then the little um dip of the hill the little valley is very small very um minor and kind of dips and then comes back up so that's normal mood, which means most of the time we're feeling above average. And then sometimes, you know, we have an off day, we have that little dip. And then what brings us out of that dip is all the stuff that our psychologists harp on about getting enough exercise, eating, sleeping, mindfulness, yoga, listening to music, seeing your family, your friends, your partner, whatever. 
all the positive stuff, all your hobbies, activities is going to lift you out of that little, you know, dip. Okay. So remember that's normal mood. All right. On the other hand, we've got this model of mood for those of us that have got a family history of mental illness. And it starts off a little bit like the first line of normal mood, but the hill isn't as um, big and it kind of, it, it dips down and it dips down a bit further than the normal mood one. And then it, instead of coming back up to the line of average mood, it peaks and dips again, if that makes any sense. And it kind of follows this trajectory of like picturing a smaller hill and then it going down and then up a little bit and down and, but it's continuously progressing down and down and down and getting worse and worse and worse. Um, so it sounds a bit depressing and look, it is, it's, it's literally the, the, um, model for people with, like I said, family history, genetic predisposition for that lower mood and subsequent anxiety. So like I was saying, um, how do I explain this? Um, how do I lead into this? So basically if we're in a constant state of fight, flight and freeze, so I did talk about that in the last episode with anxiety. So please give that a listen first, if you haven't already. Um, if we're in that constant state, right, then the brain's always switched on and the body doesn't get rest. Now you can imagine if our brain's always switched on and our body's not getting rest, what do you think is going to happen? Like if you drive a car and you floor it, like you put your foot down on that pedal, pedal to the metal, whatever the saying is, you're a lead foot and you, you just go at the top speed for as long as you can, the car's eventually going to come to a stop, right? So that's where we experience depression as a result of being in that constant state of adrenaline and fight, flight, freeze, okay? And and um, it obviously then impacts our everyday functioning. We can't do anything, right? And some of us are more um, anxious than depressed and some of us are more depressed than anxious. And I think the thing to remember here, folks, is it does go hand in hand, right? So even if you're more, pr- more prone to depression, um, generally what that means is being out and about and being social um causes you anxiety because you're feeling depressed and you you don't want to like you don't have the motivation or the energy and the prospect of going out and doing those things is really scary and then on the flip side of that if you're someone that's primarily anxious you're already worried about going out and you, you know you're constantly on the go and naturally your body and brain are just going to go no I'm not doing it and just stop and then Again, that kind of cycle repeats itself. So this experience has actually originated from, like I said, a biological predisposition and involves a steady decrease in mood resulting in a more and more depressed state with concurrent anxiety. Given this is a biological problem based on the chemistry in the brain, it makes sense that chemicals are what is needed to fix the problem. So this psychologist and myself now um, state that medication actually helps to restore the brain to normal mood 
and that it is the only thing that can properly restore the balance. Certain self-care strategies can and will and do help, but the effects are not necessarily long-lasting. The theory uh, states that the brain is deficient in serotonin. Um, And for all of you out there that don't know, serotonin is our body's natural mood stabilizer. And it's this really groovy neurotransmitter. As a result of high stress and that stress prolonged over time leads to deteriorating neurons in our brain. And those neurons are responsible for carrying information throughout our bodies. So if we're deficient in that, the messages aren't getting through. We're not feeling very good. We're feeling pretty rubbish. And she also mentions that if we add things like like a B vitamin as well as high strength omega-3 fish oils, this actually alongside something like an antidepressant Um, works in repairing the brain by essentially rebuilding our damaged neurons. I know. I know, right? So um, I'm kind of rushing through this, but basically, and again, I can't draw this for you, but I'll try to draw it for you and you can picture it. If you can imagine um, one neuron and another neuron We have billions of them in our brain and on one neuron um, we have like receptor um, sites and on the other neuron it's transmitting, like I was saying earlier, those messages through, through the neurotransmitters and the receptor sites of the other neuron are then like taking up those neurotransmitters and in a depressed and or anxious brain, the there isn't enough neurotransmitter coming from one neuron to the other because we are deficient in it and therefore there's less released in the space between neurons and then obviously there's subsequently less uptake by the next neuron and then the next neuron starts to get a bit panicked ironically and is like where is the serotonin give me more and it's like when you're really thirsty and you, so you drink more water, even if like, even if you, it was like the last bit of water you had, but if you were that thirsty, you just want to drink it. Right. So the same thing happens in the brain. It's like, where's all the serotonin? And then it leaches any of ava- more available serotonin in that, in the synapse. So between neurons and for any scientists out there I'm so sorry (laughs) this is really basic and again I'm not a scientist um, and I'm trying to explain something I would usually draw Um, and I think I'm doing okay so again I would just want you to imagine it's like leaching it out of that space between neurons Um, so you're kind of deficient everywhere and the messages aren't getting through you're feeling worse and worse um And basically, like I was saying before, we now need some kind of chemical to restore that balance. And the theory I'm going with and that this ClinPsych goes with is that the uh, antidepressants, which some doctors will just call an antidepressant, some will say it's an SSRI, um, 
It's called a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. So some very big long words there, but that's what SSRI stands for. If I've completely lost you and you're like, I'm turning this off now, please go and look this up because like, there'll be so many videos and information on Google that explain this better than I do, but I'm, I'm just going to explain it anyway. And if you're still listening, you're an, you're amazing. And, um, just stay with me for a little bit longer. So with the SSRI, right, the job of the medication is to put a little lock on the door of the neuron that's kind of leaching all the serotonin out of the, you know, synapses and the space between neurons and all that. And it it puts a little lock on and it basically starts to build that serotonin back up again. And then only when it feels it needs it, does it open the little lock and grab some more. So you've got more serotonin then in each neuron in the space between neurons and then subsequently in the next neuron. And it's only taking it when it needs it. So, um, yeah. So I'm aware that that's a very simple explanation. And again, it's just a theory. Um, but I think it's one of the best ones we've got. And over time, again, we just get more and more build up of that serotonin and we start to get back to a healthy level. And one thing I did leave out is that our neurons are somewhat damaged from stress and the addition of, like I was saying, the high strength omega-3 fish oil and a complex B vitamin is actually going to start to repair the brain alongside the antidepressant. So it's a really good combination. If you are opposed to antidepressants, um, that's totally okay. I know a lot of people that are, remember I was. Um, Do we just encourage you to take uh, vitamin B and your high strength omega-3 because they're really good for your brain and have a conversation with your doctor about this if you're considering it. Ask heaps of questions. Ideally go to a doctor that is pro-medication because if you go to one that's against it, they're only going to talk you out of it even further. But if you're kind of on the fence and you're like, I want to give this a go, by all means, have a chat to your doctor. If you're not satisfied, go to another doctor and just keep asking questions about it until you feel comfortable and ready to start it. So One of the most important factors um, when it comes to medication, or I should say few factors, um, and this is for either yourself or your clients or your family members um, or all of the above, the most important thing is choosing the right medication at the right dose and taking it for the right amount of time. Now, we're not going to get the medication right the first time all the time. Okay, it's a bit like the contraceptive pill. I know there'd be a lot of women out there listening to this that have tried multiple pills until they got the right one. Uh, It can take a little bit of time because we've all got different bodies, different brain chemistries. So I just encourage you, if you don't get it right the first time, don't give up. Because if you do get it right, it'll change your whole life. Okay, so the right medication Um, just briefly, um, the ones I would recommend for those of you that are prone, uh, to anxiety, um, paroxetine 
is is my go-to. Um, and for men, again, if prone to anxiety, would be Effexor. Uh, these obviously have different names. I think those are the brand names. Um, I can never remember if it's the brand name or the chemical name. However, if you type paroxetine um, or, or Effexor into Google, it will tell you. Um, same thing if you get a prescription from your doctor, type that name into Google. It'll give you all the different names of that medication. I would always follow the advice of your doctor regarding taking medication or encouraging your clients to pursue a prescription for medication. Um, Paroxetine is found to be a very uh, effective treatment for generalized anxiety disorder. And I can actually speak for the efficacy, efficacy, (laughs) efficacy, Now, I can't say it. Anyway, for how well paroxetine works, as I've actually experienced its remarkable benefits myself personally, resulting in a significant decrease in my anxiety as well as my depressive symptoms. It's honestly changed my life. And I I don't say that um, lightly, okay? And that's why I'm wanting to share this with people because – I think there is a lot of skepticism out there and a lot of negativity surrounding medication. And look, I just don't think enough of us know enough and enough doctors know enough and enough psychologists know enough. And my job is to share this message. And I've had not only good results personally, but also really good results with a lot of my clients that are now on medication. Um, So I'm speaking from experience. I'm not just raving about this stuff and I've never tried it. I'm not just some celebrity that's endorsing some product that they've never actually used themselves. Um, And I am not with a pharmaceutical company. I swear on my life. Um, The reason I'm recommending those particular um, medications is not only because of my own ex- own experience, my clients' experience, but also because of that Clean Sykes experience with hundreds of clients in recommending these medications. Um, I don't. I'm not going to say specific medications for those of you prone to depression um, that I would recommend because. My area of uh, expertise is more anxiety and I don't want to, um, I don't want to say the wrong thing and people be guided by that. Some that I've heard of, particularly for young people, um, I know fluoxetine is very commonly prescribed to teenagers and there's another one, but I can't think of it. So I'm not going to guess and say the wrong one, but The reason being there's generally only two recommended for teenagers is those ones have been heavily studied with teenagers and found to have the least amount of side effects compared to other medications. So look, that's just something to keep in mind, but please ask your doctor if you end up going down this path. So that's all about it being the right medication The right dosage. Now, a lot of doctors will prescribe medications um, at quite a low dosage. And so 
I'm going to go back to the example of paroxetine, but just remember that all medications have different dosages and different amounts mean different things. So for example, 20 milligrams of paroxetine is very different to 20 milligrams of Effexor. So please bear that in mind. Again, any reputable medical website, not just Google, um, you can Google it and find reputable medical websites, but just be wary of where you're getting your information. Most medical websites um, will detail the regime of medication and the generally the maximum dosages um, based on the diagnosis that you have. So by all means, do your own research and again, chat to your doctor. You should feel benefit from what they call the starter dose, which is generally one tablet. Um, so again, using the example of paroxetine, and this is really the only one I can fully comment on, um, 20 milligrams would be the starter dose and that's one tablet. Okay. Now, a lot of doctors won't wean you onto medication because they want you to experience, you know, less anxiety and less depression as soon as possible. However, if you go on a new medication and you experience all these side effects and you're feeling like crap, you're probably going to go off it and you're probably never going to go back on it again. So I would encourage you, and again, all of this under doctor guidance, to wean onto your medication. So you might even start as small as a quarter of a tablet. Again, this is for 20 milligrams of paroxetine. Um, you can cut your tablets up using a pill cutter, which you can purchase from the chemist for about 4 or $5. And you can cut your tablet up into four equal quarters. And you would take, say, a quarter... I would say for four days, because then you've done a whole tablet over four days. Then go to a half tablet, a half of paroxetine. So again, this would be 10 milligrams. And you would take that for another four days. So I'm going really slow here. The slower, the better. Because you're going to have less side effects, which means you're more prone to stick to the medication and you're going to get more benefit. So a quarter for four days, a half for four days. So that's one, two, three tablets down in your pack, right? Then we want to get you on a full tablet. So that's kind of on day nine of taking it. You want to take that for, I would say, at least two weeks, if not three to four. Then you want to go back to your doctor and say, hey, I'm feeling however you're feeling. Generally, you will feel a bit less anxious and a bit less depressed. And that's what we're hoping for. Your mood will have lifted a little bit. A lot of people report feeling more tired. Now that is actually totally okay. And I, I still experience tiredness and I am still taking the medication. However, you've got to remember you have been operating on anxiety. So the tiredness I'm feeling is actually normal because it's my body relaxed. My body and my brain are relaxed. They're not on anxious drive anymore. So that tiredness feeling is super common, super normal. And it's about not pushing yourself. If you're really tired and you feel like having a nap, have a nap. 
And that's an indication you're doing too much, basically. Okay. And you might need to cut back on a few things if you're tired all the time and you need to nap all the time. That's just your body and brain's way of saying, slow down. Okay. So remember that. Now, again, that's one of the most common side effects. Another one is a bit of nausea. Now, I know that'll put a lot of people off out there. However, if you wean on and if you eat prior to taking your medication, so ideally have some breakfast, wait, you know, eat your entire breakfast and then take your medication, you are much less likely to experience nausea. In fact, I'd be really surprised if you experienced any. If you do experience it though, it's likely to be in the first couple of days or the first week or up to two weeks at the most, and then it will go away. Some people have headaches or gastrointestinal symptoms. Again, these are much less common. And again, these will go away. The tiredness, like I said, can hang around, but remember it's your bodies and brain bodies and brain's way of saying slow down. Okay. So therapeutic dose of paroxetine, 40 milligrams. So that's two tablets per day. I recently looked up the maximum dose. It's 60, which would be three tablets. I wouldn't advise them going up to that unless you have been guided by your doctor and they have prescribed you that. I think you could safely go up to say 50 milligrams. And again, all of this under doctor's direction. Ideally, have this written on the script. So once you are up to what we call the therapeutic dose of 40 milligrams, have your doctor put it on your script and have it authorized by Medicare because then you will pay the same amount for 40 milligrams that you would for 20. Now, I'll explain what I mean by that. If you have a script that says one tablet of paroxetine for 20 milligrams per day, you'll get one box of 30, right? And that's a month's supply. If you don't have on there 40 milligrams with the code for you to get two boxes at a time, you'll get prescribed one box. You'll have to pay the same you would if you were taking 20. You're going to get through them twice as fast and you're going to need scripts more often. If you have it saying 40 milligrams with the code on there from Medicare, when you go to pick up your script, you'll get provided with two boxes for the price of one, and then you can take two tablets per day, equaling two boxes over the month. I hope that makes sense. But please, again, talk to your doctor about all this. So that's all about the right dosage. Now, the right amount of time is determined by your age. So remember... The older you are, the more damage there is to your brain. For young people around, uh, like let's say from, I'm going to say 14 to 20, I would suggest 12 months. And that is the recommended duration once mood is stable. So remember when you first start taking it, your mood will take maybe two, three weeks to stabilize and then again, you've got to increase your dosage up to the therapeutic dose amount. Um, and once you're up to your full dosage, so again, 40 milligrams for paroxetine, that's when you start to count down the 12 months. Okay. For people aged 20 to 45, 
two years roughly once mood is stable. For people aged 45 to 60, it's around five years once mood is stable. And for people aged 60 or over, it's just recommended you keep taking it because, again, there's so much damage that's been done to your brain from stress. If this is your first time taking it, I would just keep taking it. Um, what else did I want to say? Yeah, look, I'm, I really encourage you guys to email me with any questions you might have. Um, my email will be in the show notes. I'm also on Instagram on under Patrona psychology. Please follow me. Um, I don't have that many followers because I am, I, I don't post regularly enough, but if you're interested in my content, please follow me. Message me on there with questions if you like. Um, but I really want to create an open dialogue in regards to medication. Um, and I'm really keen to hear if anyone out there tries it or has tried it, what they've found. Um, and just know that, again, I said it right at the start of the episode, this stuff is just really important for you to judge for yourself. Okay, And I used to think, oh, I'm not crazy enough to take medication or I'm not depressed enough or I'm not anxious enough. And then I realized there's nothing I could have done differently that would have changed my experience of mental illness. And that's because I have a family history of it and it's in my genetics and I can't help it. And therefore... It'd be unfair of me to not take medication and improve my functioning. It'd be of detriment to myself. And that's what helped me realize I owe myself the chance to take it. And like I said, it's changed my life in many, many ways. And I feel like it's changed a lot of my clients' lives. And I will continue to support people for as long as I can on this journey and if you're out there listening, thinking I've been considering medication and I'm not still not sure, that's totally fine. Just keep asking questions. Talk to your doctor. If you don't like your doctor, find one you do. Just keep asking the questions. I really don't think you have anything to lose. And thank you for listening. Good night. Psych on the mic. Psych, Psych on the mic. Psych on the mind